don't have sex. Sex is wrong. But the Bible never says sex is wrong. It says, do not arouse or awaken love before time. The wife has the right to stand toe-to-toe with her husband and, and challenge him with truth in love. Welcome back to the Tear Future Husband Podcast. I'm your host, Christian. And I have a head cold. It's giving very smelly cat, like the point where it goes from the rasp to the nasally. And it's like, oh, that's not sexy. It's just sick. (laughs) But uh, it kind of plays into the topic today because we're talking about sex, not sexy voice. And we're talking about sex. Now, when I was in high school, I feel like sex was a topic that was still hush-hush and taboo. It was talked about, but very under the radar. And it was the, you know, the kids in the movie theater, like underneath the bleachers. Like, that was the setting for these conversations. But now, sex is thrown in our face. Like anywhere, you see it on advertising. You see it in uh, modeling campaigns. You see it in children's education. Like It's just everywhere. We're at the point where I know that needs to be shielded and guarded and a healthy way but while that is still running rampant how can we have conversations that actually help us to better understand sex and its purpose its uses its uh, timing that's something we're going to talk about a lot today now talking about this i'm not trying to make you blush i'm not trying to just be completely open no guardrails around this conversation it is still very intimate and intricate but as we talk about leading holy healthy lives and and having those marriages that we dream about that will require of us a healthy understanding of how to enter into intimacy with a healthy mindset with um, openness with preparation and just some things that we don't talk about so I decided to bring on someone seasoned in this arena if you will and who more unexpected to have a conversation about sex with than your mother-in-law. So joining us today is the one and only Lisa Bevere, and she is going to share tricks of the trade that have helped her have a marriage that lasts over 40 years and the traps that will try to impede on your marriage and your intimacy and the thinking around sex as a whole that you can even prepare for in your singleness that'll lead to a fulfilling and exciting sex life. So without further ado, Let's just hop right in. First and foremost, I just want to celebrate every single single woman that would come on here. I remember I've had so many young girls say, oh, you know, how did you end up with John? And I said, well, I always went for the wrong guys. I always went for the wrong guys because I was looking for a finished product that looked good. But John had things that you can't teach people. He had integrity. He was colorblind, so that meant he dressed really goofy. But he used my name as that. Yes, yes, I'm good. There's certain things. He wore his hair silly. He was colorblind. Y'all should see pictures of me back then. I needed help as well. I'm pretty sure that I have orange hair. But but the truth is we have forgotten how to value the things that are the most important. Because you can have a guy that's really good looking. And if he is not godly, if he does not have integrity, if he is not a good provider, if he is combative or abusive or addicted... This is going to end up being a problem really quick. And we've seen a lot of people, Christian, they started out their marriage in love or life, and then they ended up broken because for some of them, they had patterns and issues they had brought into their marriage that they thought marriage was going to fix. 
nourish doesn't fix it. It actually exasperates it. Right. And um, yes, so there were some different challenges. So I just want to say, you know, single women, you are so much smarter than I was because I picked the right husband by accident. <laughs> <laughs> but she's been doing marriage with him for 40 years now. And how to have a sex life that is both reassuring for husband and wife. Okay. And this, and here's what I hope. These are conversations you never think you're going to have. You never think, oh, I'll probably be talking one day with my daughter-in-law about sex. Yeah. But you did it with your yeah, sons. And we, yes. Well, and I kind of pushed John into some of that. Well, well, you know, I was thinking about this. Christian, we have a ridiculous amount of sexualization in our culture right now. And yet we have a famine of intimacy. And I think what's happened is we forgot what intimacy was. We've become all about sex and gratification instead of longing and a delayed desire and, you know, just actually developing a response to somebody else. It's all about us. And, you know, John and I have been married for 40 years. And I will say this, even though it's possibly troubling to my children to hear this, I would say that John and I actually enjoy our sex life more now in year 40 than we did in year one through four. Uh, and that's because, not because we look better, because it's not what you look like. It's about knowing one another and loving one another and caring for one another and actually developing a, um, a legacy of intimacy. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of crazy because our culture says, take it now, grab everything, spend it while you're young. And, and that basically when you're older, when you're, I mean, John are 60, I'm 62, he's 62. I always have to remember people. I mean, I, Christian, when I was young, I didn't think people in our 60s had sex. And that was so, uh, you know, again, if I do are, it's, and here I am uh, talking to complete your, your, your young friends uh, about 60 year old sex. So we, we have to actually understand that intimacy is actually what we're longing for. Mm -hmm. And in intimacy, you'll also find pleasure. But intimacy means that you actually get to know somebody more. And, you know, one of the questions I, I saw that came up was, how do you keep it so that it isn't familiar? Well, all right, so I have, I have a theory on this. When, okay, when my kids were little, okay, it, it's going to look like I'm off topic, but I promise I'm not. When you, you're experiencing breastfeeding, okay, yes, yes. Chris, youthful little boy. So, when you're breastfeeding, there comes a moment where you decide it's time to introduce food, mm -hmm. but you can't introduce food to a baby until you're willing to give it to them on a regular basis. And so, the truth is, a breastfeeding baby can be in a restaurant and smell food and just do great. They they aren't. They're like, ah, my mom's here. You know, they're not, they're not thinking I have to have this pizza because I've never tasted pizza and sexual intimacy is meant to be introduced to somebody when it is the right time. And then it's supposed to actually continue to happen. It's not supposed to be start, stop, start, stop. It's supposed to be something that you awaken. And so the Bible describes it as do not arouse or awaken love before it's time. So it's it's about an introduction of something. And what has happened in the church is we've gone from um, 
we've gone to a fear counseling and fear is a horrible counselor where we're like, don't have sex. Sex is wrong. Don't have sex. Sex is wrong. But the Bible never says sex is wrong. It says, do not arouse or awaken love before it's time. So what it's saying isn't that it's wrong. It's saying it's not time. And so we, you know, I'm a big believer in the right thing at the right time Mm -hmm. is the right, you know, becomes right. You couldn't have the right thing at the wrong time and it becomes wrong. And as somebody who did not learn those things, you find out that if you awaken in the realm of lust, lust demands. But if you awaken it in the realm of intimacy and love, it gives. And so I think a lot of times also women want their husband to just magically know what they want. And they feel maybe nervous about having that conversation or saying, hey, you know, I don't like this or I do like that. Or, you know, the truth is, you know, I I know that nowadays people think everybody has sex all the time before they're married. But I've talked to so many couples that had sex before they were married. And then once they got married, because they had awakened the rub of lust, Mm -hmm. they stopped enjoying it as much. Once it wasn't illegal, forbidden, naughty, now all of a sudden, I don't know, have you had any more? Yeah. Have you had any friends that had that conversation? Yeah, definitely. Or at least they don't enjoy the benefit that I've seen Arden and I have. Because what you're saying of it is this intimacy that's not only pleasure derived. Um, Like the amount of times we, this is so fun talking to your mother in law, we um, laugh and it's not the, you know, hot and heavy. Like, that's not what I expected uh, my marriage sex to be like, but it is so much more unifying and you walk away feeling better. Because once you've taken that, then it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, I love that you brought up, it's like not always how the TV you know, like show, show it or the movie show, which is also such a violation, which creates this constant comparison, mm-hmm. constant like we... Everybody else is having better sex than me. Everybody else is having more sex than me. Everybody knows what they're doing more than me. Everybody is saying, I should have self-sex. Every, you know, like It's just yeah. all to learn. There is a common theory that um, how do you know, how can you get married if you don't test drive the car? I think it's the analogy. Yeah. And, it's, and when I was growing up, it was kind of like, why buy the cow if you're going to get the milk free? So that was... That's that's showing how much everything has changed now. And I'll probably shift again in 10 years. Who knows? But no, I have seen that. And I have had friends that even they awoke in it and then they came to Christ and realized it was wrong, dated for a lengthy amount of time, but gave that back to God and were restored and do enjoy their sex. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's like the heart washer along with that timing. If anyone's like, wait a minute. No, I'm I'm that person that definitely did not understand the value of it and that had to work really hard to get get it back into the right perspective. And I don't want that for other people. I want them, I want sex to to be something that they enjoy, that they, you know, celebrate. And, you know, John and I, we also, I remember having young kids. I, you know, you have a baby. And I remember just thinking, all I want to do is sleep. Like, I love you, but I just want to sleep. And yet it becomes this really difficult time because the husband feels displaced by a baby. Mm-hmm. 
And then he feels guilty because he's kind of like, I love my baby, but I love my wife. And I feel like I lost my wife to my baby that I love, but where's my, what? and, and it's, it's a seasonal thing. And I think as women, we do well to just kind of remind our husbands, I love you. I would love to be with you. I'm just really tired right now. And so we kind of had the five minute rule at our house, which went like this, listen, I will give this the five minute try. Like you try to get me in the mood for five minutes. And if, if you can get me in the mood, you can help me. And that was just kind of our thing. So at least I was trying to cooperate. And you know, the truth is guys sometimes will go through seasons where they have more of a sex drive to the wife and the wife has less. And there'll be times that the wife has more of a sex life. Right. And the man has less drive, so, not drive, drive, not life. Yes, exactly. Right. And so we have to actually understand and have a sensitivity to each other. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, women uh, forget that it, the guys kind of, they, they kind of feel like, oh, well, sex is love. And, and women feel like understanding, conversation, cuddling, that's love. And it's not that the women are right and the guys are right. It's that both people are right and both people have a, a part in that. Yeah. And different appetites. Yes. I feel as well. Yeah. Well, this is all very great. I feel like we can keep going on the subject, but it reminds me of another question that we had. And someone's saying, okay, you have your sex life with your partner, but what about when problems arise? Trust is broken, specifically in the correlation, you know, they start watching pornography or they have to, there has been a trust level broken. They want to restore a marriage that lasts, but there's huge hurdles to go through. Yeah. Specifically in that realm. I mean, what would your advice be? Maybe specifically we'll start with the porn question. Yeah. Well, the porn question was something that John and I navigated early on in our marriage. And I just want to say this to any woman whose husband is addicted to porn. And I know, I hope you know this, but I want you to hear it. This is not your fault. This is not because you're not enough. This is not because you're not sexy enough. Your body's not, you know, voluptuous enough, or you just had a baby. You're not, this is not, this was something, something that he already brought as a problem into your marriage and thought that marriage would fix. Now, having said that, it is insidious. Pornography is so addictive. They say it's as addictive as some drug use. So I don't. Um, so as as someone who is addicted to espresso, now I, I can't even imagine being addicted to drugs and then being addicted to porn that actually gives you all those same endorphins. So so what happens is when a man is addicted to pornography, the woman feels violated cheated on and compared and all of those things are true and so i feel like it's something that the wife should not have to navigate for the husband i feel like the husband needs to actually want help take responsibility get with a a guy friend you know i know that i've watched my sons be friends to different married men who thought oh i'll get married and then i won't have this anymore I've watched my sons walk alongside these men and I've, I've seen it work, but you know, the guy has to realize what he's actually doing to his wife, that he is like basically stabbing her in the heart. Now, one other thing is, um, when you get married, I wish I could just say it's his problem. 
when you get married, his problems become your problems. Like when John married me, I had college debt and he inherited my college debt. So when you bring up, when you get married, you actually need to fight those problems together because that is an attack on your marriage. It's not just an attack on your husband. It's an attack on your marriage. And so you want to be vigilant alongside your husband. You have every right to ask questions. You have every right to decide what you're you're looking, you know, what you're willing to do. Like if you're like, hey, we're sleeping in different bedrooms or I'm great with giving you affection, but I'm not uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable being intimate with you. I know when John went through it, I was like, I, I, I would say in some ways I mishandled it. In some ways I handled it well. I had such a sense that something wasn't right. And I didn't know what it was, Christian. And finally, I realized he was the camp porn and I confronted him. And he admitted it. And it was nowhere near as readily available as it was now. And, um, and of course, that had gotten entrenched with porn and masturbation. And then, of course, I would feel this something, like a shadow between us. And then I didn't want him to touch me. So I like, I was repulsed. I think what I could have done better is I should have been, rather than just completely rejecting him, I should have been affectionate, but not sexual with him. It like draws some boundaries. I I remember John and I didn't have sex for, I think like seven or eight months mm-hmm. after I had Addison. Because there was just like, it was an opportunity for John to get some things sorted out in his life. Um, he fasted, he prayed, he wanted free, he went to people. He 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 found people to be accountable to and he broke with this cycle. I do know there's a lot of great resources right now. But again, this is insidious. We have a discipleship app and the number one thing searched on our discipleship app is how to get free from porn. Mm-hmm. Not about ministry, not about reading Bibles, not even about women preaching or mastery, nothing. How to get free from porn. So it's 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 huge. And you know, if somebody wants to use that as a resource, they definitely have that. But again, it's not your fault. It it will be something that you should fight together. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think that you should be your husband's accountability. I think it's just way too hard. You can hold him accountable, but he needs to have someone outside as well. Because mm-hmm. as as a wife and you fight with your spouse, that's not the way that, that's not the the weapon you use. You're saying, right. right. I need to come to the fight, but know that he needs extra equipping. So yeah, this may be a loaded question and I don't expect you to have all of the answers in the city, but if some woman was in that situation and she says, well, my husband doesn't want to fight or he's not ready to acknowledge that's a problem. Aside from her praying into, you know, his heart posture coming to God and ready to open it. Are there any other steps? Oh, I give her. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I would. I would make it a crisis. So <clears throat> there's a book by Dr. Dobson. It's called Love Must, Love Must Be Tough. And he talked about in the book, if disrespect and disregard goes on too long in a marriage, the one spouse loses all respect for the other spouse. So let's let's say the husband who's like, this isn't a problem. I'm not going to, I'm not listening to you. But yet deep down, he knows she's not doing right by his wife. But he's like, he's recent because those, those things have a reasoning processes that come along with them. And so he continues to be like, well, you know, you're not giving this enough for me or I'm, you know, so he, he reasons it and she goes along. She needs to be like, change the locks or, or like literally she needs to do intervention she needs to bring along somebody that she knows loves him and loves her that will care enough to speak the truth 
and sit down with them. I mean, we've done that. Uh, John and I have sat in with other couples and John has looked at the other, other, the young man and said, you're an idiot. This is a beautiful, amazing woman. And you're about ready to blow it. Not just with her, but you're, but you're making choices of never blow it for the rest of your life because you're going to get trapped in selfishness. And she has every biblical reason to leave you. So you better, you better count the cost on this. And I mean, John, you need a man who's going to like take him and like basically in the spirit, throw up against a wall and say, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this young man was like, oh my gosh, yeah. you know, cause he kept saying, well, she's doing this or she belittles me or, she, you know, and he was like, no, no, there's absolutely, John was like, there is absolutely no reason mm-hmm. you could ever give me that would say that you have the right to violate your marriage covenant. And, and the guy was like, all right, you know, and, and John said, I understand all of the excuses. So yes, absolutely. You need to bring somebody else in. And, you know, I would highly recommend counselors. I know a lot of times people will go to friends, but when you've gone to your friends, unless you really know where your friends stand, they act weird around you for the rest of your life. And maybe pick sides even, I'm sure. Pick sides sometimes, or, you know, the wife talks to the wife and the husband talks to the husband, but they're not all on the same page or get with the counselor. Or a John will come to your house and be a child. <laughs> yeah. Next up, any John doing intervention. Yeah. No, and I... One thing I think that might be misdiagnosed with "quote unquote" being a good Christian wife is the, the idea of submission and respect. That not being a part of it. Of well, I can't say anything or I can't challenge him because I have to be submissive and respectful. But what I'm here saying, well, is, you know, I don't think that. <laughs> no, no, but it's but typically out of context, where it's like, okay, well, that means I have to be quiet or I can't fight for my marriage. I have to just let him lead. Like let him lead. Pray into him coming into that position and truth and love is also part of submission you know and and actually when you look at help me it means someone who stands face to face with you and at times in adversarial position where that you're like no i mean even look at abraham with god he's like so you're telling me you would kill sodom and gomorrah if there was a hundred righteous okay now i won't do it for a hundred what about 10 less i mean he like goes all the way down the wife has the right to stand toe to toe with her husband and and challenge him with truth in love, mm-hmm. she's you know that's you. The different thing is, submission means under authority, under assignment. So you have two people, and what marriage is is two people committed to bringing the best out in one another. And submission, the way it's been perverted, is like oh you do whatever you want and I'll just behave my best. No, we're supposed to bring the best up to each other. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, Christian, if my husband says something to me, I'm like, wow, I just can't believe you would say something like that. That's that's really disappointing. It's it's more devastating than him yelling at me because I see that he loves me up to here and I did less than what love speaks into me and over me. And I just think too many times we forget we have a covenant committed to growing one another to live more like Jesus. Not more like us. When I first married John, I wanted to be more like me, but it's more like Jesus. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. Lisa is a fountain of wisdom. And I want to take a second to encourage you, if you are someone who listened and resonated with the fact of you have awakened love before that time, you have regrets, or you're hearing shame even, 
I want to remind you that your worth is not in the things that you chose, but your worth is in Christ. If you've been in one of those camps and you want to experience redemption in that area, I highly encourage you to get the book, Break Up With What Broke You, where I get to share about the power of redemption and how God can rewrite your story. You can get it at christianbevere.com, on Amazon, or wherever books are sold. As always, leave a comment, a like, or a review so we can hear from you. And